Hello and welcome to Funny Business, the best podcast in the world, I would say. Can I just go out and say that? You were saying earlier that you can just say shit like that now. You can claim you're the world's best even if you're not. Yeah, I think so. It's like those signs up at the coffee shops, world's best coffee. You were saying that, weren't you? The yeah, world's, world's best podcast. We've claimed it, but uh, hey, I'm, I'm Robbie Hicks and this is Lachlan Bradford. And today <laughs> we've got... Know. The, if you listen to the funny business, you know who we are. <laughs> yeah, Lisa Newen from Astrid Pharmacy. I'll give you the hot tip. Uh, the Astrid Dispensary, this is... Yeah. This is crazy, yeah. this episode. Are you with us today, Rob? You're a bit blurty today. You're just a bit stumbly. Am I? Yeah, a little bit. Honestly, this was one of the best chats. We've had a few people from the cannabis space jump on the pod and, and share their journeys. But this one, it's an interesting one, having the pharmacy background um, and just sort of that strike of inspiration overseas at the dispensary and just seeing what can happen here in Australia. It's good to see uh, people like Lisa paving the way for everyone in the in the Canatech industry. 100%. Lisa, thank you so much for jumping on the Funny Business Podcast. For those at home listening, tell us who are you and what do you do? Hey, guys. Thanks so much for having me. My name is Lisa and I'm the founder and CEO of Astrid Dispensary and we're Australia's first female-led cannabis dispensary. I feel like that's a cool job title to explain to your friends. You know, when yeah. people ask, like, what do you do? And you're like, I feel like that's a good one. Yeah. It is, it is pretty good. But then the questions afterwards are like, okay, so how did you get into it? And are you sure it's legal? <laughs> well, I can imagine like it's a tricky space. We've mentioned off air just before we click record that we've had um, Cassie Hunt on, Reese Cohen, Cam Rose and a few others in that space. And it's like, it is tricky. And actually before we went on air, you were saying it's got sort of a bit of everything, like every industry. Is that what sort of a baptism of fire coming, like having that pharmacy background and then just jumping into this would have been just like, well, this is everything all at once kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, the the exciting thing about the cannabis industry is that it's like every single industry that you can ever imagine in the one industry. It's like you have your your you have branding, you have marketing, you have agriculture, you've got medical, like doctors and nurses and pharmacists, but then you also have um you also have like distribution as well. And so there's so much, um, which means that it's ever ever changing and ever growing. Um, so there is always something to do and always challenges to overcome. What about you personally? Take us back. How did you even get involved in business? How did you grow up? That's a good question. How far back do you guys want to go? <laughs> as far back as we can, I reckon. Let's just, <laughs> let's just dig back. Then we lane. So my background is um, I'm a pharmacist, but I was one of those pharmacists who never wanted to be a pharmacist, which they're probably pretty rare. Um, and so I I come from a Vietnamese-Australian background, so my parents were immigrants coming to Australia. And so growing up, um, I've always had that pressure of you've got to be a doctor or you've got to be a lawyer or you've got to be a pharmacist or you've got to be something within that realm. Um, and this is like, you know, in the 90s and 2000s, and essentially that was kind of like what was drilled into me. And so it was interesting because as a first generation growing up in Australia, um, I found that I got the Australian education um, and and I found that I was really, really good at creative stuff. And I also had a different style of learning. So I wasn't good at rote learning like everyone else was. I had I was a very visual learner. And back in the day, that was kind of like looked down upon because I couldn't like do a math sum like someone else would because it made me really confused. But if someone drew me a picture, I'm like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> 
So I discovered that really, really early on and that was frustrating for myself um, growing up because I was kind of like pushed into doing a subjects that I wasn't really good at. I was really good at English. I loved writing and I still do. Um, and I loved exploring. I love imagination. I love thinking about the possibility for everything, even as a young child, right? But my parents are like, what are you doing? Like, why can't you just be good at methods? Like, methods are so important in life. And I'm like, what? And so that was my childhood. And so in, um, I guess, for year 12, I, I got into, I actually got into Melbourne University Commerce Arts. Like, that was the first thing I got into, which was amazing. Right? I was like, yes, I could do, like, PR, marketing. Like, that's my dream. And um, But then I remember going to my first day of um, enrollment for university coming home and then my mum literally running down the driveway going waving an envelope going you got into pharmacy school and I'm like oh I didn't apply to any pharmacy school and so my mum being the ethnic hustler that she is applied to every single state for pharmacy school that was in Victoria because Victoria was the only state I had control of my passwords for but she had she had created passwords for every other state somehow and so she's like, you got into pharmacy school in Wagga Wagga. You're going. And I'm like, Wagga Wagga? What the hell is that? I don't want to go to Wagga Wagga. And, but I was 17, didn't have a job, had no savings. She's like, you either do this or I'm going to disown you. And I'm like, oh, my God. Okay. So I went to Wagga Wagga. So went to Wagga Wagga and, like, most of my life I, I studied really hard um, because I wanted to you know, do something with my life and also pursue a creative career, but couldn't really get into it because my parents pushed me into pharmacy. So I went to Wagga Wagga with the intent of not studying. <laughs> so, what was it like up there um, in Wagga Wagga? Sorry? What was it like? What was going on up there in Wagga Wagga? Wagga Wagga is big party town. Like, it was amazing. I, I call it the, the university of life. So highly recommend for anyone who wants to pursue a a very like if you want to enjoy your twenties, go to Wagga Wagga. <laughs> um, so the first day of uh, university, you kind of you go to like you know the enrollment day, and you kind of you you're, I had a choice between either hanging out with um, the Asian crew or hanging out with like the ethnic crew, and you, I was like, you know what, I spent the last ten years studying, I'm gonna hang out with the Wogs. <laughs> so, and that was great because they literally weren't studying at all. <laughs> Um, and it was amazing because that's where um, I, I started living with these two, like three guys who loved cannabis and they started just, you know, growing a lot of cannabis in our house in in town in Wagga Wagga, um, really got to know a lot about sativas and indicas and they were just rolling and, you know, doing a lot of really, really probably not compliant stuff back then, but was my kind of taste into what the cannabis world is, what the culture's like, and what it could really do for people. Because I did have friends in university who had celiac disease who get really nauseous if they have gluten. And so, like, you know, like Tez would come over and she's like, I'm so nauseous, I accidentally ate bread. And so she would just, you know, roll a joint and have it, and she would feel so much better. And back then I was like, oh, is it because of, I didn't know the medicinal side of it back then. I'm like, is it because it's so just relaxing? Um, but I knew that it had a therapeutic effect on people for certain things. But it was very much cultural. University is more like, you know, you're young, everyone's here, and there's weed, and it's kind of like that university kind of vibe. Um, so that was like my first encounter with cannabis. And then um, I somehow passed university, became a pharmacist. But then 
I continued to rebel against my profession <laughs> in that I didn't want a full-time job. So what I did was I became this kind of casual pharmacist. So I was a pharmacist with a side hustle always. So I was always doing, I went, I worked my nine to five job and then went home and did some sort of econ business on the side <laughs> to get my creative juices going. Cause otherwise I'd just go mad. And so fast forward to 2017, cannabis legalized in Australia for medicinal purposes. And I landed one of the first jobs in Australia as a, um, they call it a medical science liaison, which is essentially is a kind of like a sales rep or a person who tells doctors about or teaches doctors about how to use medicinal cannabis for different types of patient cohorts. Um, and that was, for me back then, the most crucial part of my career because I was so over over with regular pharmacy I've done like the community in the hospital kind of thing and it wasn't for me because it's too regimented like I don't like too controlled of a setting whereas and I thrive on like creative chaos that's what I love and cannabis in 2017 was chaotic because there's no rules like no one the, the government really legalized it but beyond legalization there was no no one really knew what to do and so doctors didn't know how to prescribe. Doctors, pharmacies didn't know how to order in. Um, clinical trials were very, very basic. And so I was involved with trying to figure out the whole kind of like landscape and all that kind of stuff. And I loved it. I love not knowing the answers to anything and trying to just figure it out. Um, and so I did that with a small Australian company for about two years. And then after about two years, I'm like, you know what, it's time for a change. So I moved to a global Canadian company called Canopy Growth. Um, and that was a game changer for my career because I, I loved learning and I loved that Canopy were half medicinal but half recreational globally. So what that meant was in Canada where um, a lot of the grows are, um, they serve um, the medicinal market in Canada but also have a huge recreational um, market there as well. Um, so they I found that interesting have, looking on the yeah. back is like because they made a couple of investments here in Australia and I, I always think that here about like, how how a company is actually setting up for recreational to be a thing. And I'd love to get into that a little bit after about like some of the changes you've seen now since it started, but where you think yeah. it's going, obviously, with the global exposure and working at a company like Canopy. Yeah. yeah. I think that like when I moved to Canopy, that was around 2019, I think. Um, and back then the the medicinal market in Australia was still quite new. So it was predominantly an oil market. So you'd have CBD oils and TXC oils. But beyond that, you didn't have anything else because people were still very like, oh, cannabis, it's, there's so much stigma against it. And people were still freaking out that there was TXC and things. And um, doctors didn't really understand TXC. It's a, it's a very interesting market in that it's very patient-driven. So patients or consumers like us, we understand TXC and we understand CBD. But from a medicinal perspective, doctors are very like, oh, I'm not sure there's enough evidence that kind of thing. Um, and so um, I think when Canopy came into the market in Australia, it was still very much an oil market. But in um, in 2020, I saw an opportunity to open a dispensary. Um, and the opportunity came because Canopy were awesome as a company. They really invested in people. And so they flew me to Canada a couple of times to do training and kind of be upskilled, which was amazing. I saw the whole grow facility. I met some really awesome, like the OG kind of people in yeah, the um, Canadian like recreational market days. Um, and I really understood their journeys and really learned a lot from them. And I also saw dispensaries. Like I went to a dispensary and I'm like, it's like an Apple store. 
Like, why don't we have anything like this here? It was so clean, minimalist, like people come in and you have, you have bud tenders and they'll tell you about the strains and it became a really personalised experience. Uh, and it um, and I felt like there was no stigma at all. Like I saw a, a couple come in um, and they were literally on their first date, I could tell. <laughs> and I'm like, that doesn't happen here. Oh, I love that. To like a price Were you snooping around, just trying to get some intel and just get some insight into first dates? Because I always do that. Like we guess and go, they're on a first date, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to listen in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's that experience, yeah, that you're creating and it's like it's something new together, yeah? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I think, yeah, it, it's an, it's a really great place for a first date. It's something exciting. You can share something that's new together um, and it kind of breaks the ice a little bit as well. Um, so it's great. So if you guys ever want to go on a first date, come to Astrid. <laughs> we'll help you out. <laughs> it might be the 400th date for us, but yeah, hey, we still love it. But like like you were saying, though, you saw like did it open your mind and 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 eyes to be like, hang on, like there's this opportunity here. I'm in a unique spot where all the skills that I've developed, you know, throughout yeah. my whole career, you know, you got the pharmacy background. I mean, to have that skill and discipline to knock that off and still do the other stuff do you think that's yeah. like helped you now in the way that like you get stuff done yeah so I think it's funny because in in life kind of like everything I think I believe everything happens for a reason like I think in this world everything kind of like pulls through and if it's, it's good or bad it always happens for a reason and I'm like in that moment when I was in that dispensary and I was looking at it and I was like I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do it in Australia and I'm gonna make a dispensary or a pharmacy really really cool and I was like, I'm so grateful that my mom made me go to Wagga Wagga to become a pharmacist so that I can legally open a dispensary. <laughs> well, so, that's what I mean. Unique skill set that a lot of people, like I see a lot of people want to probably get into the space, but they don't know how. There's so many regulations and stuff. So the fact that you've done all that sort of hard work and, and hustle beforehand, like that's what set you up kind of for like success, eh? It did, yeah. But going into it, you don't really think about that. I, I'm always like a chaser. I just ex- chase the next exciting thing. And so, and I think that's the great thing about me is that like I don't think about the next 10 years. I think about the next two years. I'm like, okay, what, what excites me right now? Because I feel like if you think about 10 years, then you're always chasing that 10-year mark. And then if something doesn't go to plan, then you're like, you beat yourself up. Whereas I'm like, I'm very flexible. I'm like, okay, well, I want to learn everything right now on this topic right now. So, and I want to be excited about it right now, live in the present. And and I did that for cannabis. Um, and I got through pharmacy school in a really fun way. And it just so happened that both crossed paths, but I didn't go into cannabis thinking I'm going to open a dispensary. It just happened. Um, and it's just life, I think. Um, and I think the moral is make sure that in anything you do in life, you always go in, you know, um, guns and blazing and make sure you give it your all because you never know what that skill set will give you for something else in future. Um, and I think that's really important in not just in business, but in, in in life in general. And so, yeah, I went to that dispensary and checked it out, came back to Australia. And then coming back to Australia, I had to resume my my job as a medical science liaison. And I had to, I remember going to like a Priceline pharmacy and I had to teach this pharmacist how to use CBD oil for their patient. And it was so disheartening because the pharmacist, Pharmacists back then in 2019 were really, really busy with, you know, vaccinations and dispensing normal medications, medication checks. And so when I went in to do education, I saw their eyes glaze over because cannabis is the last thing they want to think about. They've got a million other things to do. And so it's an extra thing to add on to their plate. And so I saw that 
they just didn't have the capacities. But I thought, well, I could do, really do this because I can see that if I just specialize purely on cannabis and make that an exceptional experience, this could be something really, really special. And I wanted to make it really creative as well and really unique and make it a really central kind of experience, kind of like be the, the ESOP of dispensaries in Australia. And so that was kind of like the vision. That's how it started. Um, but then the problem was um, I quit my job in about, in 2020, I quit my job, but I also founded Astrid in 2020 at the same time. Um, and that was peak COVID. Um, and it was like lockdowns and everyone's freaking out about, you know, the pandemic and all that kind of stuff. But I was so focused on doing this dispensary. Like I was like laser focused. I really wanted to do this, but I didn't have the funding. Um, and that was difficult because um, I sold my apartment. Um, I sold everything that I had to do this. I bootstrapped the whole thing because the banks were like, you're crazy. Like it's the middle of the pandemic and we're not going to give you a loan. You don't have any real business experience. Just done a few e-com brands online. That doesn't count as a real business, you know? Um, and so I was like really disheartened by that because I went online and I Googled, how do I make a business plan? And then the ANZ like, you know, business plan template come up, came up. So I built it in and I submitted it to the banks and I thought I did a really great, great job, but apparently it wasn't good enough for them. <laughs> Um, and so I didn't really take no for an answer. Um, so I guess that's lesson number two. Um, if you, in business, you've got to have a lot of resilience and, and a no does not mean a no. A no means there's another way of doing it. So you've got to find a way. And so, um, I had some cash, but not enough to, to like do a dispensary because I had to, had to sign a lease, do a fit out, get stock and somehow get staff. And I was like, well, shit, how am I going to do all that stuff? Um, so what I did was, um, I saw an opportunity to, um, make cloth face masks, um, the COVID face masks. Um, and it was, um, I think it was April of 2020 and no one could get face masks into the country because of lockdowns. Um, but my immigrant parents have a sweatshop in Melbourne. And so I drove to Roeville and I was like to my mum, I drew a picture of a, a face mask on a piece of paper. I'm like, can you sew this? And she's like, I haven't sewed in 10 years. I'm like, but you've got 10 sewing machines in the back. Just whip one out, <laughs> just start sewing. She's like, okay. So she sewed 10. I made an e-com website overnight and then sold 10. And then I was like, can you sew me more? And so over a span of four months, we sold $80,000 worth of face masks. Um, and that was enough plus everything else that I sold to start Astrid. So that's crazy. Oh, and I love that you got your mum working too. <laughs> yeah. oh, she was like, I went to, the, I would drive kind of like illegally to the factory um, after my full-time job. And I'm like, mum, how are you going? And she's like, I haven't peed. I need to pee. I'm like, mum, we have no time for that. You need to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> but it was really exciting. And um, she, um, she actually, um, would bring people in and help to help us sew as well. I was like, mom, you got to stop bringing people in. Like, this is a restricted space. Well, that's nuts. Like, that must feel good, though, having, like, your mum involved in kickstarting yeah. your dreams of doing this. It must make it feel even more important and special with, like, yeah. how it started. Yeah. it's it's It was really, really special because that was so crucial to the the very beginning. And my, my brother was involved as well. He would – so he would do all the packing my mum would do all the sewing and I would do all the BDM. Like I would go out to businesses and like, hey, do you want face masks? And and I'll do all the sales. And it was like really, we had a whole operation. And um, my, my first hire was actually a girl that came to the factory late at night and started helping us pack masks. 
and her name is Judy. And I was like, so Judy, what are you doing with your life after you pack these masks? Like, do you have ambitions in life? And she's like, oh, nothing. And I'm like, come join me in my dispensary. <laughs> I don't really That's know if fun. I can pay you right away, but, you know, it's going to be a bit of an adventure. And she's like, yes. So Judy um, has been my first hire and she's now still with me. And, and she's my right-hand gal. I love that. Tell us about that. It's really- funny how it all works out, isn't it? It's like, yeah. when, and like, yeah, you could never have really planned for it. Like, yes, you had the idea for all that sort of stuff, but if you had gone through that route, it would have been a totally different yeah. business, you Every, know, to what it is Everything in life happens for a reason and you just got to, whatever life throws you, you just got to go with it. Don't worry about the consequences. Just go with it. What about when you open the doors? So you get you, you get the doors open, you, yeah. you're making some waves. Tell us how how did how do you launch? Yeah. Um, how was the reception? How did yeah. people feel about it? Did you so, like, I'm sure it would have been interesting commentary around it? Yeah. Yeah. So open my doors on January 24th of 2021. So it's a good two years ago. And we had no customers. And it was so scary because I was, you know, um, even with the fit out, I was really hands-on because I couldn't really afford like a real shop fitter. So I had to do a lot of DIY. <laughs> so it looks really beautiful on the outside, but then there's a lot of things that I just winged and I learned how to do construction. So I learned about joinery, I learned about painting, I learned about how to manage trades because I couldn't afford to hire like, you know, a project manager. So I quit my job at Canopy early to become a tradie and, um, I did that and it was great because now I, I have such great appreciation for, you know, um, builders and what they do and how much work it takes to, to, to like, make something beautiful. Um, and then when we finally opened the doors, we had no one come in. And that was, to me, like, the most glass-shattering moment because I'm like, oh, my God, maybe maybe this wasn't a great idea. And I started to doubt myself. Um, and so that was hard, but... It also meant that I had to find another way. So I'm like, okay, well, it's it was lockdown, so there's no there's no one on the street. I couldn't rely on foot traffic, um, and so I realized, okay, well, having a brick and mortar is not enough. I've got to figure out a way to let people know about me. And so we, and the thing is, you can't market in medical cannabis as well, and it's it's difficult. You can't just say, hey, we're a cannabis dispensary. Come and see us, and we can give you, you know, TXC oil and different types of flour and that kind of thing, and couldn't do that and so what we had to do was we had to go back to basics and it was just literally one customer or one patient at a time and really really showing them an exceptional experience and then also learning from that we had this um we had this whiteboard um on our first week and the whiteboard was um to capture two things so we split it in the middle and it had um first so First sale, first customer, first um, first vaporizer demo, anything like that, so that we remember those moments. But then the other side of the whiteboard was problems. It's any problems that we face, and I encouraged myself and Judy back then to um, embrace those problems because if we can solve for those problems, then we understand what we how we can improve the customer or the patient experience. Um, and we focus just on that brick and mortar in person experience as much as possible. And we did that for six months. And so we, um, I got my first $1,000 in four weeks' time. So we did $5 a day, $10 a day, and we just keep going higher and higher every single day. And it took me four weeks to get to $1,000. <laughs> um, and so it, it, was, it was scary in the beginning because like, you didn't know how can you pay rent, how can you pay staff, but, and you had to find a way to make it work. 
Um, but we kept going knowing that what we had was really special. I knew that I had something really special. I just had to make sure that people knew about it. Um, and that really went back to how can I better help a patient? How can I improve their journey? I asked them a lot of questions like, what do you like about the experience? What you don't like about the experience? How can we make it better for you? Um, what do you know about cannabis so far? How can I help you learn more about cannabis? And we made it a really open conversation about cannabis. From a design perspective as well, I made sure I designed it in a way of the, the actual dispenser in a way that is very relaxed. So if you do come into one of our dispensers, you will see that we use a lot of curves, a lot of natural materials. It's always green or dark green and there's plants everywhere. And we create little pockets of lounge areas or like hangout areas so that it's not so much like behind the counter and you're like talking to them about the cannabis. You're literally hanging out with them person to person, human to human, talking about cannabis. And I think that really helped to destigmatize cannabis. And then it became word of mouth. Patients would tell other patients, friends would tell friends. And even now our, our referrals or um, the way that we, we have been growing has been all organic. We've spent zero paid marketing to date, still now, and we've grown organically month on month from day dot. What what are, you th- what are your thoughts on the whole not allowed to advertise and market? Like, I, Locke and I were talking about this before off air, and, like, I just go straight to the type of ads as I remember seeing all the times, like Panadol or Nurofen and things that pop up, and, like, they're allowed to put, like, prime time, 7 o'clock at night, tell me what pain meds I'm meant to go and buy, it's, it must be an interesting space to know that you are there's so much regulation around what you are allowed and not allowed to say. Yeah. I think it's a difficult one because um, the, the reason why there's such strict advertising is because cannabis has been categorised as a, um, a Schedule 8 prescription medication in Australia. So with prescription medications, there's different categories. So there's Category 2, 3, 4, 8 and 9. And so things like Panadol and stuff, they're usually category two. So you find them in like Woolies and stuff, right? And so there's different advertising rules for those categories. Now, the problem I think is because it's categorized as cannabis is categorized as schedule eight, it's so restrictive. And I don't think that it's personally, I don't think it's right because it has to be, there has to be a different way for people to know about it. Because at the end of the day, we're getting people from the illicit market to the legal market. People need to know about it. We're getting people from different types of products that um, are not as high in quality to actually GMP, government-approved quality cannabis. And if they don't know about it, how will they know to access? And if the the regulations are so tight that we can't advertise, then how will they know how to access? You know, so there's it's just a um, I guess a regulation problem at the moment. Um, I think there are ways around it right now. So I think that. The restrictions are so tight, it, it forces brands to think of creative ways to really, you know, uh, get their brand out there. And I think the uh, the silver lining in this for me is that you really do have to focus on brand. You've, you've got to, for me, like at Asterix, we focus on community. We focus on what do our people, our not just our customers, but also our people at Asterix, what do we want? And so if you can build that culture and that community, then you're naturally drawing I guess, people um, without doing the blatant paid advertising, that kind of thing. It's a, a bit of a slow game. Um, but for us, that's what's been helpful, being able to focus on that um, because you're forced not to do paid advertising, right, all the time. I love that. Like the constrictions almost allow you to be more creative because you're like, well, yeah. we can't do that. And like you mentioned, like the fit out of your space, the community like mindset straight away is like you were saying is like, 
people learning about stuff and like removing that barrier, even like subconsciously, like that barrier of the counter, it's more like, Hey, like, just tell us, like, you can be really open and honest about everything, you know? So then you get the real data, you know, you get the real insights because people might be too scared to open up and say, look, I've been buying, buying marijuana cannabis on the, on the black market for 10 years every day, you know, that like to get that for them to come out and say that to you, you need to be comfortable, you know? Exactly. And it's it's really personable because um, I think that there's a lot of stigma and fear associated traditionally with getting cannabis. Most people are so used to getting it back alley behind 7-Eleven with a guy in a car, quickly grabbing it, give him cash and go, right? And that's, that's what we're all used to. And so for them to come into a space where they can openly talk about it, they can. They don't have to whisper. They can really embrace the culture of cannabis here in in these four walls. This for me is the most magical thing. Like I remember early days, patients coming in, getting the prescription. I've dispensed it. I'm, I've handed it to them, and they're like, they kind of like want to put it into the bag and hurry along. And I'm like, you guys can stay for a little bit longer. Why don't you open it up and you know have a smell, have a look at the buds. Tell me what you think. And they get so shocked when I when I say that because they're like, I can open it here. Is that legal? And I'm like, it's yours. You've, I've dispensed it for you. So, of course, you can open it. And so, like, I, the faces on people's faces when, sorry, the, yeah, the um, people's faces when they open it for the first time, opening up that jar, having your first whiff of and all the terpenes, the smells and, and how their faces light up, it's amazing. The things like I worry about too is like even travel, you know, like I've got a prescription, I've got it in the thing, but if I'm boarding or like jumping on a plane, like will I, will I get pulled over by the sniffer dogs? And Do you go through that bad experience just for having your medicine, you know? Yeah, and it's a good question because people ask me that all the time. But the thing that I encourage people to remember is that this is your prescription. You've legally attained it from a doctor for you. And there shouldn't be shame associated with that. So if you carry it with a um, in the original packaging with your name on it, then that's legal. There's nothing that a stiffador can do about that. Right, well, let's get into the the big problem. You're in the news last week, I think it was, um, yeah. talking about drug driving and regulation around that. Which I think that in the in the episode we've had previously, this has probably been the biggest sticking point for a lot of people who are looking to turn to medicinal cannabis as a as a treatment. So I know we've covered talking about CBD versus THC, but even just like having traces of things and the, and the stress and anxiety attached to going through a roadside breath test or a drug test, knowing that you might have cannabis in your system. Can we go through where you think this is at? Where do you think it's going? And are we making any progress? So the drug driving piece is something that we at Astrid are really, really passionate about. And we're passionate about it because we really listen to our patients. And so we make an effort to really understand everyone's journeys. Like I always tell our patients, if you have problems that and you feel like you get you are getting discriminated against, whether it is driving, where it is, you know, um, you know, health insurance or whatever it is, let us know because these are the problems that we need to then address and then we need to find solutions for for our community. And so the, the drug driving piece has been something that's been prevalent for a long time, ever since legalisation. Um, and it's been a tough one to move because I think that the government hasn't hasn't known what to do with it. And there's a lot of factors that influence it. There's a lack of education. There's a, a big stigma associated with it as well. But essentially the rules are right now, if you have TXC in your system, 
then you sh- and you are using a, a TXC product, then technically you can't drive. And the, the real issue with that is that it's unfair. What what if you need to pick your kid up from school? What if you need to get groceries and you're not impaired? Then you should be able to drive. That's only, that, that's that's only fair, right? And so we have a um, patient advocacy and government relations arm of our business. So we've got a team member that literally listens to these stories. Her name's B. And then she captures patient stories. And then we then try to make sure that people in Australia hear about these stories because essentially there's nothing more powerful to a politician than hearing hundreds and hundreds of patient stories. And that's the only way to change regulations at this stage. And so we've made an effort to really capture stories of Victorian patients, New South Wales patients, Queensland patients, and really understand each of their pain points and then make sure that we are getting those stories out there as much as possible. So I think every single month this week, uh, this sorry, every single uh, week this month, uh, we've had a story of, a, of one of our patients um, explaining how it's impacted um and what it means for them a lot of a lot of the times what it means is that these patients can't live their lives they can't go to work so how can they provide for their family um and and politicians need to understand that if they're not impaired they should be able to drive um in terms of where we're at now i think we've been doing a lot of pushing um we've been doing a lot of um advocating for patients and i think that in some states we're getting closer We, we we haven't the rules haven't changed yet but I think that I'm optimistic that people are starting to listen to us now. It feels like there's a bit of a rise, a change in, in sentiment. Like I feel like at the, even seeing at the election, having the different cannabis parties that were an option for oh, people. And then, that weird, and then people yeah. choosing to elect them. And I think it's the first time ever you can see that for everyone's like, I'm so sick of everyone else in government. I'm just going to choose this, which it was almost like the, the anti-authority. Like, the anti-authority, like I'm going to choose <laughs> them. But it feels like people choose, they want to do it because people want to have options. And it, it seems like, following suit I, I look and where we are in australia and the people we've talked to in the pod it always feels like we're years and years behind everywhere but it's we're safe. not we're, we're so safe but we're not a big country you know what i mean like we are yeah. in terms of land size but there's not that many people and we have we technology is a huge growing sector that we need to move towards away from stuff and, and cannabis is a space and the size of australia to think of like how much land we have to grow produce and do different things is like why aren't we going to be, why are we choose to be? Because they're figuring out how to monetize it, the government. What about some of the, the changing trends? Well, I, I, like, we're just saying like rising sentiment, but like what do you think has changed since now? Where do you think it's going to go in the next few years? It, it's changed so much. Like I, I know that people think that the cannabis industry is, like we're very, really behind in Australia, but from, from where I'm sitting, it's changing every single week. And the more people who are pushing it forward in in the right way, because I do believe that you need to work with government and work with policymakers rather than against them to ensure that they understand what we can do to move this forward. And so um, I think that, you know, when I started about, uh, I've been in the industry for almost five years, it was literally one product. And now there's like 500 products. That's already a big thing, right? And flower... In flower perspective, patients used to be really, really afraid of the word flower or doctors are like, oh, no, I'm not going to prescribe flower. I'm not going to be the pot doctor. And now there's so many doctors who are very pro-cannabis and pro-flower, um, and that's huge. So I think as we provide more education, as, as we push forward and remove the stigma, things are progressing. I think that we are moving in the right direction and we just got to keep going. 
I love that. It's like you've seen it with your store. It's like the more people, like as soon as they sort of figure out and in their head they can make sense of it all, you give them yeah. time to allow that and then the word just gets out and then they become the advocates because they talk about their personal story and they go, oh, well, I'm kind of like that. So maybe, you know what I mean? It sort of just adds exactly. on like the domino effect and like that's actually going to make more impact in the end because they're going to be exactly. the ones who are actually going to be the big yeah. advocates, you know? Exactly. The more patients we have, the more patient stories we have, things will change. So we, at Astrid, we went from zero patients and it took me, you know, two weeks before I got my first patient um, in 2021. And now we've got 17,000 patients across Australia. Like that's that's a huge, that's a huge growth. Um, and, and that's really representative of where the market's growing um, and how this industry is going to go forward. Does that sort of dictate where you scale to? Like you mentioned that now you're in Byron Bay, do you sort of look at those where the policies and changes are sort of getting made and going, well, we'll probably set up shop and sort of like the strategies going that direction type of thing? Um, yes and no. I think that um, from a business perspective, um, uh, my strategy has always been very people first. So I'm a very hands-on kind of leader. Um, we're female-led, so that means that, you know, majority of our leadership team are female and I'm really big on giving people opportunity because I had so much opportunity when I, early on in my career and I really want to give that back. Um, and so I don't want to really scale so big that I don't remember who my staff are. I, I like yesterday we had a team meeting and we um, did 15 minutes of just debriefing on, on Q1, but then we did like, you know, an hour and a half of painting these awesome bears and like getting really creative with, you know, stuff and team bonding. So I think that stuff is really important to me. So I think scaling for me is about making sure that it's uh, aligned with our brand and our vision, making sure that it's our people are put first and making sure that we're still maintaining our level of care and and service for our, our patients. I don't want to scale to the point where our, our service and our values are compromised because I don't think that's part of what I want to achieve. I really want to create a legacy and really make an impact on, on this industry. And so what that means is I want to have a lot of dispensaries across Australia. Uh, when we picked Byron Bay, we picked Byron Bay for a few reasons. Number one, an opportunity came up with um, next to a, a really prominent doctor. But number two, Byron Bay is very special to me because it's so close to Nimbin and there was so much history and culture there. And there's a lot of um, there's a lot of fight for legalization in the 70s and 80s. And so I really wanted to make that known. I really wanted to bridge the gap between legal and illicit market. Um, and so it has a story to tell. And our, our, I guess, strategy moving forward with all our dispensaries is, is that every single one of our dispensaries will look different and every one of our dispensaries will have a different story to tell. Like South Yarra is very urban. It's very centralised. It's very, um, it's our first store. It's our flagship store. And so intent of that build was to really remove stigma and provide patient access. Whereas our Byron Bay store is very, very hinterlandy. It's very lush. It represents like um, the people who came before us. And that's really, really powerful as well. And as we scale, there'll be one in Brisbane and maybe one in Sydney and no more than that because we want to make sure that we remain authentic with our approach and provide a really amazing service as we grow. Oh, this is this been a sick part. I'm loving this. I like, got, got to touch on it. What, what are your thoughts on recreational here in Australia? Recreational is something that I'm really, really passionate about because I think that right now what we're doing is that we're struggling medicinal and recreational. So we have like a cohort of customers or patients who are pseudo-recreational. And I think that's okay because I think recreational cannabis is, you know, something that I'm I'm pro. I use it for canopy. Um, and it's essentially cannabis 
um, making people feel good, right? So I think that recreational cannabis will come in Australia, but what we need to do is make sure that we fix the problems currently in the medicinal system. And that means supply chain. That means marketing, advertising. That means um, product quality. All these things that we are experiencing now are the precursors to making a really great um, recreational market. If we fix that now, then we'll have a really booming recreational market. I love how pumped up and how passionate you are. Like when when you when you're talking about this stuff and getting people around you, how important is the support around you? And then seeing people like who you might have even seen from the pharmacy space go, "Wow, this is like, and this is crazy." Like, it's all the, happening. yeah, it's all happening. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, this is just it feels like the first sort of wave. You know? Yeah, yeah. I I honestly think that this is just the beginning. Um, I love inspiring people. I think that the more people do. Um, things in cannabis, then the more, the, the faster the industry will grow. Um, and so I think, it, yeah, I always tell my team, every single one of these guys here have a place in this industry. No one, no role is, um, you know, too big or too small. Um, even down to the packaging, like we have a team of people who pack um, really beautiful Ashwood packages to patients. And I'm like, your role is important because you're creating an experience, you know, where, and people in, in my leadership team, their role is important because their job is to inspire the people who, um, who they, um, they work for. And so, yeah, I think that's important as leaders to make sure that we instill that kind of mentality in our own people. And then that mentality is then instilled in patients and then also industry as well, because more people think that if more people see that we're doing the right thing, then they're more inclined to want to do it as well. Hey, well we're still pretty early in, into 2023. Well, I, I say that, but we're actually getting close to, to halfway. Uh, what's on for the rest of the year? What are you excited for? What are you excited about? Uh, there's a lot of things I'm excited about, but a few things that I can't say anything about right now. Um I am doing a um, an interview with a really, really big magazine next week and we're doing um, a tour at a big um, cannabis farm. I can't say more than that, um, but I'll, I'll keep you guys posted. And we are collabing with a really, really um, amazing international brand as well. So um, there are a lot of really exciting things on, on the works for Astrid. Um, and then the other thing is we're doing, um, we're launching our e-com um, side of the business for the first time. So in about a month's time, um, patients can order um, vaporizers and things from us online and actually go through a really, really nice online shop. Unreal. Well, I was just going to say about the packaging, I remember for the first time ordering through you guys and I just couldn't believe it. Like honestly, like from delivery date or whatever to to getting it and the packaging, like you're mentioning the experience, it just, it felt good you know what i mean like I, I think like common patterns in like people doing successful things is that the focus and the care that goes into the end consumer yeah. you know like the obsession with like making that the best possible experience is yeah is the winner you know exactly yeah i teach my team to be really customer obsessed i'm like you need to obsess about everything because that means that you care about the customer so we did an activity early on i think when six months into opening astrid we had a team and i think back then my team was like six people maybe, um, and we did a, a packaging um, workshop where we had all these boxes out, different tissue papers and stuff and different colours, and we're like, okay, let's figure out what's the best way to pack these boxes. Um, and so we did it, and that's how that's how the boxes that you, you get um, have come about because we, we made a game out of it with the team. 
Well, I love that. Hey, the question we ask all our guests is a bit of a mental health one. What do you turn to when you're looking to get some energy back in your life? Um, I really love breath work and meditation. Um, recently, we've, I've been flying back and forth to to Byron Bay, and so um, have been joining a lot of like the the yoga studios there and really getting in tune with the power of meditation and breath work. So that's definitely a winner for me. I've got like, you know, a brain that just goes all the time. So I need to check myself sometimes and just remind myself, got to slow down, got to gotta just sit in my own thoughts for a few moments. Um, and sometimes that's two minutes a day. Sometimes that's 20 minutes. Sometimes it's just going for a walk and letting like, you know, the surroundings kind of like get into my brain and not thinking about work. Um recently I got a founder coach as well and he he also reminds me to do really awesome things. So we had a session yesterday and he said to me, write a letter to your future self. And so that's what I'm working on this weekend. Oh, I love that. Because like, it's hard because when you do become obsessed with something, like that's all you can think about and you do want to solve the problems and you get energy from doing that. But like physically it can cook you. Like another common theme throughout the podcast, I think is like burnout too and being wary of yep. like what can actually like you, you can, if you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, you just keep building that next sort of hump. Like when does it ever yeah. stop? You yeah, know? yeah. I, I can really relate to that because I've burnt out many times. But you know what really stopped me from burning out? Um, I have a, a really awesome leadership team. And then I realized that my leadership team are so inspired and they mimic me sometimes. And if I work myself too hard, they'll copy me. And me seeing them burn out is is the line for me. I don't I don't want that for them. I want them to have work life balance. I want them to love what they work. I love that they're passionate, but I want them to have you know I want them to have like balanced lives as well. And so sometimes I have to remind myself that I'm also someone that they look up to, and so I have to remember to slow down for them. Well, thank you so much for jumping on and chat with us today. This has been an unreal chat and I'm excited to see what you and the team keep doing over the next few years. It's like, like you said, it's only the beginning and I'm pretty inspired by this chat. I can't wait to check out <laughs> both your stores, to be honest. Like the fact please, that we haven't backed in, do. you know what I mean? We've got to suss it out. Definitely. If you want to bring first dates, hit me up. <laughs> I love that. Thanks, Lisa. <laughs> if MySpace was still a thing... I had a top 48 friends. You'd be my top 48. Top 48. Oh, I, I didn't want I, to let anyone down. I like five years of being in this space. So hearing her perspective and see how it's changed. Like we've, we've covered it now since 2020 on the pod, but we were up obviously went to Brisbane for the thing up and that was 2018 now. So mm-hmm. seeing how it's changed over the last five years, it's it's pretty crazy. And to hear that, to go from no members to 17,000, like that's crazy. Just one by one. And it's just that resilience thing. And I think like so many lessons from this podcast, but uh, – if you love the podcast, if you're digging our work and you want to know what the Dream Big Social Club's about, we're throwing a party in Melbourne, Collingwood, uh, May 3, 6 till 9. There's going to be some barbecue uh, food. So stuff that you like, Rob. You know, you're into ribs, you're into sausages, you're into burgers, <laughs> you're into chips, you're into onion. What else are you into on the barbie? Chicken oh. sticks, you love that. Oh, I do love the sneaky chicken sticks. You so love hopefully... a bar- barbecue food's like your favourite. I do actually it? like barbecue food. I like the smokiness and charcoal, like the burnt bits. Is it sort of povo that... We're throwing a launch party and we're throwing snags on. Is that like, yeah. people are going to be like, hang on, where's that ceviche quiche? Where's the the snail eggs? <laughs> yeah, the quail no, eggs. Yeah, no. We don't Is have that what people that. might think? But honestly, it's very bogan. It's hey, uh, party pies. <laughs> don't, don't, yeah, you'll have the sausage rolls <laughs> and the plates go around. No stress. Someone, who's got the saucer? We've got some bottled water too. If anyone wants some water, we'll, we'll have that. But uh, no, I don't think there'll be any tickets left by the time this episode comes out. So, 
if you've got a ticket, lucky, we'll see you there. And uh, if not, we'll have some merch dropping soon and a lot of other stuff dropping soon. So keep your eye out. Um, we love you.